Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Emma Brzezinski and today I'm talking to the wonderful Rebecca Suet. We're talking about the PhD and menopause. We talk about brain fog, we talk about HRT and we also talk about cake. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Rebecca. Oh, hi, Emma. I am so looking forward to this conversation. It is such an important topic, the PhD and menopause, um, close to my heart. Um, so, but before we before we get into that, um, I always ask people to tell us a little bit about themselves and their own journey. So can you tell us a little bit about you, about your PhD and about what happened afterwards? Yeah, so um, I started my um, PhD in my 40s. Um, I went back to education um, early 40s when I was having a bit of a career gap with my um, second child. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, I'd worked uh, full time in further education um, teaching students, managing curriculum, managing departments. Uh, so I was very much in the delivery, working with young people and working with adults, mm. which is how I came about my topic. So I started um, a bachelor's degree in um, when I was 40 and I had thought, yes, I think I'd like to go back into teaching, but I'd like to teach primary school children. So I had a master's, but I didn't have a bachelor's degree. And that's what I needed to get onto the course. So I spent four years doing a part time um, degree. But while I was there, I got the bug for research, which I hadn't anticipated. And I loved the topic. And I loved the broadness of the um, topic, which was basically education and sociology. Um, but something, it, it kind of, there was, it converged with, I had started this degree, which was about education, but there were a lot, there was a mix of students who were, um, you know, classical age, you know, undergraduates, and mm. also a lot of students that had done two plus two degrees um, and battled their way through university and maybe quite a few of them were teaching assistants or looking mm-hmm. to go into child play therapy or yes. become children's nurses right. and I noticed I'd been doing a project um, with a professor at the university on um, work experience on education degrees and as part of that we went out and we did um, interviews with students and professors about um, you know their journey into work experience and through their degree and I noticed some things that chimed with other things that I'd been concerned with in my role in further education hopefully this is easy to follow yeah Um, yeah, we're with you but 
Um, when I worked in further education, I taught a lot of adult women that were coming back into education, a bit like the two plus two students on my um, degree course, um, my, my peers really. And I noticed how some of these women come back into education thinking, yeah, I was teaching a vocational subject. They think, yeah, I'll come back and I'll do this course. My kids will be old enough and I'll be able to go back into the workplace. and I'll have a job where I can work for myself if I need to, work around the school hours, etc. But I noticed in comparison to the younger students, very few were going into straight into work or into the work they were training for. And maybe quite often they were going on to do further courses because they got the book for education. Mm. Um, and when I was it, when I was doing my degree, I noticed a lot of the older or part-time students weren't going into the jobs or the higher level jobs that they had aspired to when they came to university. And so that gave me the idea for my PhD, really, um, which was around at which was at a time when austerity measures had hit mm. adult education so badly. And I know universities have suffered um, and further education colleges have definitely suffered yes. from this. And there are much less opportunities for adults to go back into education without the debt associated with that. Um, and I wanted to really explore, given that, there was been a massive reduction in student numbers why some of these students were still aspiring to go through further education and on to higher education or into work and really what motivated them to do that given the amount of difficulties they would face with all the structural constraints around them and I chose to focus on adult women because those were the women that i that those were the students that mainly I taught and I'd noticed how much they gain from education even if they don't go into employment and how much mm. the narrative is around you know if you're not going into employment then education isn't valuable right mm. but they were gaining so much more from education than that and a lot of them had come from very difficult situations mm. so I did a study on a really diverse group of women and followed them through their course to find out why they've returned to college what they were hoping to do their journey into college and where they were hoping to um, go on to afterwards. Some of them have since finished their degrees, um, which is lovely, gone into work, yeah, but quite often not doing what they set out to do, um, but still gaining nonetheless. So that's mm. not a very brief uh, introduction about what my PhD was about and how yes. I got there, but you can see how it all interrelates. Yes, absolutely. And then, and and having done that PhD, what what happened next for you? Just to get an idea of what where you took you talked about how you're very generous spiritedly talked about how the the women in your study have done. What what happened for you? Yeah. So for me, um, obviously, I'd had a gap from the um, workforce, like mm. the women in my study. I mean, mm. there was more convergence than I it kind of imagined. Yes. 
And so um, I'd done some teaching alongside my PhD at local university, um, a Russell group, and, you know, then found it really hard to get a job, you know, even though I'd got publications because I think my topic isn't HE and it isn't schools, you know, it's kind of one of those less popular topics. Mm. Uh, And yeah, so I found that really quite difficult and that really did have a massive um, knock to my confidence. I know Mm. it's not unusual. Mm. I read Mm. the stats, you know, and I, I did begin to regret doing a PhD I thought this right. is like a you know an albatross around my right. neck for a bit right. and then I became aware then I started to think well you could do research anyway you don't have to do that and we would do you really want to do um sort of casual teaching you know in place of having a proper job where you you got chance of getting some pension I know that is mm. under debate and discussion um and I, so I needed to get back into the workforce and I you know I was bored I'll be honest my brain was <laughs> going dead and you know without the PhD there to motivate you it's quite I think yes. it's quite hard to do the publications yes absolutely um so I became aware that the civil service take on um government social researchers and they take on you know statisticians for the ONS well that's I'm a, I'm a qualitative girl so um I applied for numerous jobs um through them and I'd spoke to various people that worked in the civil service and said look if I start out in I don't know a government department that's maybe not in my area or in my sphere of interest, what are the chances then of me moving across to somewhere else that I'm like quite fancy, like education, for example, or, Mm. you know, something to do with levelling up maybe. Mm. Um, And that everybody has said to me, once you've done your probation, um, there is chance. So I managed to bag myself a um, job as a social researcher in the Crown Prosecution Service um, doing some really interesting and yeah taxing work heavy duty work um, requiring a lot of you know interpersonal skills broader skills and the PhD in dealing with um, you know a different kind of way of working and getting through the layers of management and convincing people that we should do this research um, and you know convincing them of your ideas is is quite challenging but good as well um, and so I've been doing that for five months and I'm really enjoying it um, awesome. yeah so awesome and I just I love hearing people's stories and um, and well and I know that Listeners love hearing people's stories in terms of where the PhD takes people, um, because it can take you in all sorts of directions. Um, and it sounds like for you at the moment, there's a bit of a dot, dot, dot on what, what happens next. So you might have to come back. Um, but before we, before we start planning the next episode, um, yeah, <laughs> we, we want to get, we want to get into this, this one, because this, you very generously said you'd be happy to come and talk. Um, about the PhD and the menopause. Um, so let's talk, let's get into that. Um, how how was it for you? You, you, this this was something that was your lived experience. So can you share a little bit about, about that? Yeah. So I mean, I I think 
I started getting menopausal symptoms maybe when I was 42. So maybe when I was doing my bachelor's degree, I felt a little bit more um, rageful, should we call it? <laughs> uh, um, you know, but it coincided because I've got an older child. She's she's in her, you know, um, later 20s now. I feel really old. And then I've got a teenager now. So I had a teenager at the time ish and a new child like a little one at um reception you know in reception um in primary so I didn't know whether it was just you know doing that doing a bit of work on the side you know um having kids of different ages being older Yeah. yeah I didn't know whether it was that but Gradually, um, as I progressed into my PhD, I had to do a master's in the first year and I was fine through that. And then um, and, and I've, all, I've suffered um, with endometriosis lifelong. So I'm not no stranger to having been tampered with with hormones, to be honest. I'm so sorry to hear that, have, that is a tough journey on its own. Yeah. And having to have, you know, things that put you in the menopause. So that is very immediate and very severe. Um, And so I think it was maybe I'd done my first year and I'd done my data collection and I was maybe in my writing up year or halfway through. And I started to get really, you know, basically I was having a permanent period. Um, I was um, feeling really like low and my confidence was really Mm. fragile, you know. So I did my, when you do, I can't remember what they call it, but you have your end of first year. It's like conversion, you know, are you good enough? And honestly, the lady, the the professor that did my interview, she asked me challenging questions, absolutely prepared me for my viva. But I found, you know, I found that I was taking things very personally and, mm. you know, fretting mm. and becoming much more anxious. Mm. Um, my PhD was 50 miles away. So not I didn't go into the office every day. But then when I had to go to meetings, I had to, I found that driving became more challenging Mm. and I was getting stressed and anxious about driving places being late I've never liked to be late so that kind of Mm. you know intensified Mm. Mm. and then I um I had some surgery for my endometriosis and then after that it started the menopausal symptoms I felt were much worse um And it got to the point where I was waking every hour. I I wouldn't say it was a hot flush, um, but I was waking every hour. And I can, I mean, you know, I breastfed both of my kids and I can only liken it to that feeling where you wake in the middle of the night and you feed in and you think the world could end because your hormones are a bit weird. And it was like that. Yes. No, I hear you. And I I think this this is the thing, isn't it, that that we we talk a lot about the physical... um, aspect of the menopause but actually the thing that hit me the most was that 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 night waking anxiety which is yeah. absolutely devastating and makes yeah. you feel like you are going mad yeah. um I absolutely can relate to that and I think this this real emotional impact um of that absolutely um yeah I absolutely hear you on that it was it was hugely um mm. 
difficult. So mm. I went to my doctor's. I um, burst into tears and she mm. was lovely. And she, Good. you know, she sent me for some tests and she said, look, you know, I think I was 46 or 47, maybe. She said, I'll send you for these tests. They're not going to really tell us a lot, but we just check your levels for other things before mm. we go ahead. Mm. Mm. And then she basically said, look, you know, probably better to have a bit of a gap from your um, your PhD. And her, luckily, her husband had done a PhD and she uh-huh. said... I know what it's like. He he sat in a room on his own for four years. Right, right. I think he and she said he got really depressed. Mm. And she said, I cannot imagine doing this in your situation. Right. So she was apps. I just landed and I know wow. many of my friends have had to go through all kinds of scans and tests and yes. you know, back and forth. A lot of them have gone privately yes. to get support, which is absolutely gives me the rage yes um, yes yes now yes. we were just talking before we started recording weren't we most yeah. of the people are most of my friends have had to fight really fights to get any sort of medical yeah. support um so but I'm so pleased this is I love the good news stories I'm so yeah. pleased that she was there and she was able to support you in that how fantastic yeah. hooray for her hooray for her so I so they they put me on it and I you know I on the HRT yeah yeah and I immediately started to feel better it's miraculous but it's miraculous the difficulty was I said to my um supervisor look you know I I think before I had my surgery for endometriosis I feel like this you know I've been going back and forward to the hospital meaning the gynecologist but I Mm. didn't say that and I feel that something's not right I'm really struggling to concentrate they were you know they they were testing and you know they they thought that they'd found something in the cervix and so they were a bit worried about what that was and so I had to go and have additional tests that I really hadn't bargained for before that um and then I so I'd already said to him I'm having these tests and he's like oh anything you need just you know but that was a bit embarrassing I thought and he said tell me as much as you want and I really liked him but honestly it would be honestly you know it was just embarrassing I think his wife was a similar age to me as well so I don't know whether he filled in the gaps for everything um but it was just totally embarrassing and then when I've been to the doctors and things you know I'd I'd had the surgery took a couple of weeks off gone to the doctors a a couple of months after that with the you know the really bad symptoms yes yes and I had to ring my second supervisor, who I rarely was in contact with, a lady a bit younger than me, and she was lovely, and I was mm. a bit hysterical. Mm. And I'd spoke to the student wellbeing, I was a bit hysterical there. And she said, well, I can, I can speak to your supervisor, your second supervisor. And I said, no, I'm like, I'm nearly 50. I should be able to have this conversation, mm. you know. And then I managed to have the conversation. And my second supervisor said to me, I said, well, what are you going to say to him? And she said, I, I'm going, I hope he never listens to this. Oh, what I'm going to say to him <laughs> is I'm going to do that. I can't remember the um, the comedian's name where they're over the, they're over the fence and he gets his arms crossed around his chest and they have the conversation. She said, I'm just going to just have my arms crossed and just say it's ladies problems. And he won't ask a single other comp- 
question and and he he didn't and then when I went back I thought oh gosh I only had seven weeks off but I thought oh gosh going to be really awful um and it it and I just said I'm coming back next week um I really don't want to talk about it um everything's fine now look forward to meeting you and because I just thought do not say anything to me because oh. I, just, I just can't cope and I really liked him but I just thought no I can't I can't do it I can't do it it's very yeah. difficult isn't it it's very difficult because in an ideal world we will all be able to discuss these things and we'd be able to be very you know clear and open but actually we're still culturally we're just still not really into talking about these things no. people don't know how to handle it and and the thing is even though we know it's going to happen. Certainly my experience of coming into menopause is like, what is this? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> so you don't really know yourself. So this sense of being able to kind of articulate it to somebody else then becomes a real challenge because you're not even really sure which way is up at that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really I, difficult. I mean, I did have to take the time off because as yes. I said, I yes. was not sleeping. And no, so it, it, my it, super, second supervisor said, look, if you're not sleeping, you cannot function. No, and then no. I was crying. And luckily, yes. I've got yes. a great group of friends and they've all got dogs and they take <laughs> me out on these walks <laughs> and make me freezing and dirty. But, Brilliant. you know, they give me a good talking to, which is yes. great. And yes. so that you know, my good friend said, "Look, you need to take some time off." Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, how brilliant that you have got those people around you because that is really important this time. And I certainly, um, I really value my friends right now in this situation around me and um, being able to talk through and go is this happening for you and what's that so kind of certainly recommending people we always say on this podcast about how important your people are I think in the the menopause doubly doubly important doubly important um so you took some time out yeah and was able to 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 get the was that when the the HRT started and you started to get back a bit more on an even keel I know this sounds cliche but the minute I started it it I felt better no me too it was within a week different person I, I think a couple of days and my yeah. friends were like oh actually you're quite scary now because you're like back on form yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that is the thing isn't it because you feel like you've lost yourself yeah. and then you go to kind of find back so yes so I think if people are listening to this and because I was always of a of a thing of like oh I'm never going to do that <laughs> hundred percent hundred percent I you know in in some of the work I've done I've worked with um women who are recovering from breast cancer and mm. so if you'd have asked me 10 years ago yes. I'd absolutely never do yes. it because I'd read all of the stuff yes. um the old research yes. that has unfortunately um you know been prevalent in the media yes, yes. And, and there's so, now lots of questions around it. So if you if yeah. that is something that you're if, if people are listening and that is something that they've kind of taken, you might want to go back and just ask some questions of that now. Yeah, and that and that's what I did. I did, you know, as any good researcher yes, um, yes, yes, yes. would do, I did all my research and I decided that yes, I was okay with it. I was a bit scared to start, probably. But then yes. once I felt better, I thought, oh, my gosh. And now it now, if you said to me, uh, your doctor will take you off it after five years, which they were originally threatening, um, I, I'd say, no, you can take it. 
you can take it off me when I'm in the coffee because I'm not giving it and There was that thing, wasn't there, where there were shortages? I, and yeah. I really got a bit very, very worried about it. I was like, you can't take this away from me. <laughs> yeah, same. And I've had issues where I can't get it. So yes. I am yes. You know, yes. um, all, all over that, making sure I get it in time. Uh, honestly, it sounds awful. No, <laughs> I, I'm with you and I totally understand. So if people, if people are experiencing symptoms I think I think this sense of um going and asking you know going to the doctors and um because I think a lot of people I wonder if you've heard this Rebecca and people say oh well it's all you know it's all right I'm not really sure like you said at the beginning you weren't sure what it is because of course being very tired being irritable it's all kind of you can you can make you can kind of go oh that's because you know, life's really busy at the moment or whatever, but actually that, that, that can be signs of, of menopause and you might want to get that checked out. Um, I wonder if there are any other thoughts that you have in terms of how to navigate that PhD journey. Yeah. With going, going through this. Well, I think Firstly, I'd recommend anybody to have a look at the Balance app or the information that Louise Newsom puts out or the yes. British Menopause Society. That's a really helpful resource. Um, I, I know a lot of universities have got menopause policies now. So yes. I'd looked at that for my university. Um, the university I was at had done a lot of research on menopause at work. Um, but it, it's only useful if you want to say, I've got this problem, you know, right. which I've, I was clearly in the, I'm just going to keep this on the down low and yes. we just say it's women's yes. problems yes. and nothing else. Yes. Um, I think in terms of navigating the PhD, if you are suffering, and in it also I had a, prior to this kind of all of these sort of real flare-up yes. where I went to yes. the GP, I'd had frozen shoulder which I didn't realize was not just related to sitting at your computer it can be something that happens when you're going through the menopause which is really interesting because there's had any... so much yeah there are yeah. so many other things that you yeah. wouldn't even think would be to yeah. do menopause which are yeah yeah so I would be making a diary and the balance app is really useful for that looking mm. at the resources that are available mm talking to your friends about it I I was saying to Emma before we started that I've become the the menopause expert I love it my friends which I've always been the youngest and now I'm the oldest and the menopause expert but you love know it. we 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 used to have a Monday walk and we just talk about you know how the how it was all going for us yeah. and what we yeah. were what we were experiencing and I found that really helpful yeah. um taking walks and having your people as you've yes, suge- yes. so rightly suggested and my I, I think because people join the PhD at different stages of life even though education PhDs tend to be older they weren't necessarily as old as me right. or in the menopause situation so I didn't find that I had great sort of allies there uh, massively but I had a lot of friends similar age um that I could chat to and it was good to just talk about that and not talk about the PhD at the same mm-hmm. time if you know mm-hmm. what I mean because because yeah, yeah. your PhD friends that's what they talk about um I you know increased exercise I looked at my diet so I tried to take a really holistic approach to it mm. 
mm. which isn't easy because I think when you're going through the PhD, you're so stressed about getting yes. finished. You're yes. constantly being judged, yet you feel like you've lost yourself when you're in the menopause. Yes. So you've got that challenge. You know, yes. I think depending on your topic, that can also be challenging. Um, and just for me finding I'm not a morning person so I found that really hard being in a I'll I'll call it a proper job in inverted commas where they expect you to write lit reviews at 9am I just can't do it so I'm a night person and I, I found that working when it works for you is better um for the outputs you know for the phd outputs the writing outputs yes yes i also found um going on little writing retreats on my own um away was absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. and getting out of the house and going to the library pre covid um any library um was like a real treat as well and mm. kind of gay it's that because I think you've, your mental space is taken over yes. and it's quite stressful being in the menopause. So if you can just go somewhere else where it's a bit different, I find that really helpful. Yes, a really good tip there. I think that alone time becomes really important, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And w- walking in nature is a, it was mm. a really big thing. I think mm. I put in loads of steps and that's something I've missed now. I'm in a proper job <laughs> is, right, the, right. is the getting out in nature and kind of... You know, if you sat there, brain fog was another thing that I didn't discuss that we discussed earlier. Yeah, yeah. The brain fog is so intense sometimes that you sat at a screen and I know everyone suffers with the blank screen, but it did seem to intensify. Yes. And it's just you get up from that screen and you think, okay, well, I've sat here for now. It's really not working. I'm going for a walk. And you come back and you mull over what you maybe wanted to write and how you might order it and then you come back fresh mm. and I found allowing myself the the guilt's always there with the PhD but yeah. allowing yourself just to go out or if I'd written something difficult you know I had a lot of difficult topics to cover um, unexpectedly difficult if I'd written somebody's narrative story for example and thought gosh I just feel really sad I would go out for a walk and just process it mm. and get myself a coffee and maybe have a cake occasionally um cake. yeah so you gotta love a cake you've got to love a cake and I, th- I, I think this sense of looking after yourself is coming through really strongly um and I think this, this is always important it's always important to look after yeah. yourself but in this particular moment where it's such a transformational time you're coming into it just a whole new relationship with yourself in the menopause and um I think then it becomes incredibly important to take care of yourself and be attentive to your own rhythms um and doing the best you can with that um and eating cake yeah always always good (laughs) not too much occasional cake no I know I know I know you know, and I'm really lucky. I've got a very supportive family. Um, you know, my husband does all the cooking, so I can't, you know, I can't massively complain. I had all of that and I know, you know, a lot, a lot of my friends maybe don't have that. And so mm-hmm. I do feel really grateful. And I was really lucky with my GP. Yes. Yes. Um, and so I just have I just try to be an advocate for my friends now where I can um and help them 
Yes. And I think what's brilliant having you here today talking about this is, is that, that sense of being an inspiration in terms of you can do this, you can manage this. And I think because I know, because I've been talking to lots of people recently who yeah. are really struggling with this and it's like, well, yeah. I just don't think I can do it. And it might be that it just takes you longer or you do it in a different way. Um, but just, I, it's brilliant to have you here, Rebecca going, I've done it. I did it. It's done, yeah. You know, it happens. It's okay. You can, you can get through. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of time and I could talk to you for a very long time. <laughs> um, oh, and we're going to, just to say that we, as always, we'll have, um, we'll have, uh, now I can't think of the word, you see, we will have all the information in the show notes. So people will be able to click through and get, if they don't know who Louise Newsom is, they'll find out very quickly. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, and so we, we're just going to close now. I wonder if we've, you've given us a lot of brilliant advice here if there is if there's one or two things that you just leave leave people with to to take away yeah I think if you're if you're in this situation and you're doing a midlife uh, PhD um yeah go go to your doctor seek help if you think you need it and make a note of what's going on you you know you're not going crazy it 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 yeah and you can get through it and then the second thing I'd say is just don't be hard on yourself if you if you're suffering with brain fog or you can't think of the word just put the x's somebody told me put the x's if you can't fit the think of the exact word and go back to it do you find and replace at a later stage just to keep your writing flowing and that's yeah those are those are two kind of really good tips along with all the others um yeah brilliant advice put the x's in I love that I love yeah. that Rebecca thank you so much um thank you for being so generous with your own story and um I wish you all the best with this new role that you're in um we were saying before we started we might need another another episode <laughs> on that so watch this space everybody thank um, you thank you so much for being here Thanks. Thanks. And, and thank you all for listening.